This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the four key components of a successful PR campaign. PR, or public relations, should be a fundamental part of your marketing efforts for three reasons. One, it builds credibility through third-party endorsement. Two, it drives awareness and engagement of your latest news. And three, it creates searchable content and links that help with SEO. So like we often do, we want to talk just for a minute about what's included in PR. And definitely this definition has changed, like all things, with digital and everything that goes along with that. So Defined broadly, PR is any content that is generated through a third party. So most people are familiar with articles and publications like magazines, newspapers, trade publications, digital publications, newswires, as well as segments on TV or radio or even podcasts. PR is generally earned or coverage you get through pitching versus paying for it like you would, for example, with a TV advertisement. So that's our overall definition of what's included with PR. Right. But as you mentioned, April, the lines have really, really blurred in recent years due to the nature of these publications, especially with the emergence of digital and influencers. So due to this, many would also consider coverage like with social influencers or bloggers or even advertorials as PR. But for the sake of simplifying this discussion, we're going to focus on earned PR, which we'll refer to as earned media. So this is media that you are not paying for, right? You earn it. Hence the name earned media. (laughs) Look how that works. Yeah. Uh, So we do have an entire segment on influencers. That's called Four Tips for Using Influencers Effectively. If you want to learn more about that paid arena, especially with regards to influencers. All right. So let's jump into four key components of successful PR campaigns. And as a note, these are not sequential. They are actually very much done all together because they inform each other. So you should be thinking about it in that way. All right. So the first component of a successful PR campaign is a developed message track. So your message track is used to inform your communication strategy. This can include your pitch, your sub-message tracks for your storytellers, and any inspiration for any content you create. And a message track has three primary components. The first one is the key takeaway or the overarching message you want everyone to have as a result of the PR campaign. This is what you want people to believe about you or believe about what work you're doing or your business as a result of this effort that you are conducting. Underneath that overarching message are two to three reinforcing points that answer why someone should believe you. It's the first question somebody already always asks. Why should I believe what you're telling me? Underneath each reinforcing point is subpoints, And these subpoints really are the details that establish your social proof. All right, so all that together looks something like this. So say, I want to do a PR campaign to convince everyone that the Dallas Cowboys is still America's team. Of course. Yeah, Football don't reference, Dallas Cowboys, here we go. Yeah, I knew this was coming. Okay, but <laughs> my my portion of the, of the episode here. Yeah, you your team. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right, so the first thing somebody would ask me is, why should anyone consider them America's team? I don't need any comments from the peanut gallery on this one. <laughs> I'll keep my mouth shut (laughs) for now. So the answer to this becomes your reinforcing points. Now, honestly, I don't know if these are true or not, but these would be examples of the reinforcing points I would want to be true in order to answer why someone should believe that the Cowboys are still America's team. So, for example, they have the most popular players on the team. That would be one reinforcing point. The second could be they make a significant impact in their community. A third could be they get the most viewership for their games, either in stadium or just through TV. Once I had those three reinforcing points that answer why someone should believe that the Cowboys are still America's team, I would then outline subpoints for each one of those, like stats, testimonials, quotes from credible sources, claims, facts, whatever would support those points as social proof. So, for example, if I want to provide social proof for the reinforcing point that they have the most popular players on their team, I would list their top two or three players, like Zeke or Dak, and then I would 
include their social stats and their endorsements and then potentially any activity outside of football. All those social points together really emphasize why they are popular, right? And then ideally, I would compare them to other teams like the Giants or the Eagles and show that they're that they actually have a differentiating factor based on them, which further reinforces the point. Now, you can argue with me in April well. Um, <laughs> I said, keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> that it, whether or not these are the right points, but that's actually really the art of the message track is you need to identify the points that you think are going to be the most compelling and making people believe your overall takeaway. And if this is, sounds really complicated, we're actually going to have a template. We're going to put that on our worksheet so that you'll have a template that kind of walks you through this. Keeping my mouth shut over here, I told you. No, but I think (laughs) I did sigh when I saw this example. But I think that actually the message track is something that gets overlooked. And I know Anne said that this isn't necessarily in order. And you do work on all these things together because you're trying to get the contacts while you're trying to craft this. And all of that is totally true. But I feel like this is something that either people phone in or they don't do it to the level of what is really necessary. And they just kind of rely on the one we'll talk about next, which is the hook or something that they feel like is shiny or flashy that Mm -hmm. really doesn't have a ton of impact if you don't have anything to support behind it that actually tells a story and then more importantly, tells the story that you want to tell. Yeah, that's a really good point because it does put all those thoughts down on paper and making sure that they're logical and making sure they're compelling because the most important part about a PR campaign is that it's consistent. Yeah, People tend to think that that feels a little counterintuitive because they're like, well, we want to tell this person this Mm -hmm. message and this person this message because we want it to feel like new and interesting. But really, really, the whole point is to have a consistent message across. Now, you might choose different parts that you're going to amplify a against different media, but all in all, your story, your overarching takeaway, whatever you want somebody to believe about you has to be consistent or you will just kind of fizzle underneath all the noise. Well, and I think we always talk about how many messages people need to hear before it actually resonates, right? And so I think this is one of those places where you might be bored with it because you've worked on it for X amount of weeks and you feel like it's not shiny, like I said before, or you feel like you have to put everything but the kitchen sink in there. But really, the clearer, more concise and consistent you can be with the message over all of those channels, yes, flexing different pieces, like you said, Anne, but really sticking to that allows that message to be heard in different ways by the same people across platforms. So then they're actually compelled to go do something. Yeah, that is a really excellent point. All right. So the second component of a successful PR campaign is a compelling hook. Which I preempted. Sorry, but it made my point. It was a good preempt. (laughs) So you need something that is of interest to earn media. And that's because you're not paying them, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're not paying them, you can't force them to write a story. So you need a reason for them to choose your story. And what we call this is the hook. Mm-hmm. And hook is generally an incentive that's going to be of value to that media property's followers. And it helps them differentiate from other media outlets. So we call this creating currency with their followers. And what this does is just like any brand, it helps them perpetuate growth because then people are going to want to come to them for this information. They're going to start having a reputation as like the source. And that's what they want to build. That's what helps them generate revenue. So here are a few popular mechanisms for how to create a hook or what a hook could consist of. So the first is interviews, especially with highly coveted people. We see this all the time. Barbara Walters was the one who kind of like originated this whole thing mm-hmm. with all the interviews that she did. Or Oprah. I mean, this is a fundamental piece of how you be able to provide currency through a storyteller's voice that helps to perpetuate your own business or your own brand. The next is exclusives. And this is generally more for a big brand standpoint, but I used to use this all the time at P&G. And this is giving an outlet the first opportunity to actually share a story. So they're the first ones to be able to do that. They love being the first for all these kinds of things. So if you give them that access and allow them to be the first ones to tell, that is generally a really good hook for them. Another one is peek under the tent or behind the scenes. So give them some sort of access that they normally wouldn't get. This gives them a very unique uh, point of view and a very unique filter for which they tell their story. That's especially the case for influencers. Influencers love peaks under the tent and behind the scenes. 
Another one is a story that's going to make people feel something, whether it's inspired, informed, knowledgeable. In some cases, it's a story or a hook that allows their followers to kind of follow a certain POV that they are intending to, is especially the case through politics um, and other controversial topics. Another one is something that is relevant based on what's of interest topically to the publication. So if they happen to be a big lifestyle pub and they're very into the cultural zeitgeist, you're going to want to be able to provide them an angle within your hook that allows your story to be told within that context. And then, of course, there's seasonally appropriate. And we're kind of going through this right now. It's holiday season. I mean, you're seeing a ton of stories about Christmas and the holidays and, you know, and, and all of that. And so that would be the right time, obviously, to have then a holiday story, which you might be able then to align your message to. Now, this, like I said, is a art and a science. And so you need to figure out how to frame your story to align with one of these value driving mechanisms. Don't make the mistake of thinking that your news is so interesting or so compelling <laughs> that you don't need to to do that because it, the tendency for a lot of these media properties now, especially because they're so lean and a lot of these journalists are covering multiple different categories, is like it doesn't peak to something that is on their mind right now, they'll tend to just like push it aside and go to the next story. There's way more stories to tell than slots to tell them in. Yeah, and I would say, you know, that list that Anne went through, I think it can feel somewhat overwhelming because you're like, how do I choose? And, you Mm -hmm. know, so I think the point you make about making sure that it aligns with the story that you actually want to tell and being really intentional about that. Again, it's not meant to be a checklist of do all these things or try all these different approaches. It's really thinking about, okay, this is what I want people to get. And then what is the best mechanism for getting them there? Right. That's a good point. This is not like everything but the kitchen sink. And you might have some different ones depending on which media outlet is likes these sorts of things, right? So you have to be strategic within that too, which is going to lead us to a later point. But before we get to that point, the third component of a successful PR campaign is mediable assets, content, and credible sources. And I'm going to let April take this one. Yeah, and I also preempted this one without really thinking about it. But when we talked about making sure that everything works together, that you're working on all of these things at the same time, this piece is definitely done in parallel with defining your hook because they are highly dependent on each other. Mm -hmm. So like we were just having the conversation about picking the hook and then picking the mechanism, if your hook, for example, is an interview, you have to then at the same time quickly identify who will be the best spokesperson person to tell that message track while still being mediable or of interest to the media. And actually, when I read that word that Anne had written, I was like, is mediable a real word? It sure is. It actually is. I know. I learned something new. In any case, I digress. So like we said, this goes hand in hand because if you're going to proceed with an interview, but you don't have a spokesperson that applies, then that's not going to work, right? Or if you pick a spokesperson, but the interview really isn't the best way to do it. So you have to be juggling those things at the same time. And we'll give you a really specific example and a plug for one of our favorite clients. All of our clients are our favorites, but Rising Star (laughs) Casino. And with them, we offered up Lou Nasty, who designed and engineered the animatronics for their Christmas casino experience. And the reason we did that is because, one, for one thing, it's very unique that they're having a Christmas display, and it's much more than a display. I don't even know how to describe it, so you should go. There's my plug for that. Um, but it's it's different and differentiating for a casino to have this experience. Then on top of it, they have Lou, who is a world-renowned expert at animatronics and does these holiday installations literally all over the world. And so he is a very credible source, but also someone who has the experience, but also the heart and the passion for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So the minute that we met that man, yes, we knew he was going to have the chops and all of that. But when you see how much he loves what he does to the point that he tears up, that makes him the perfect person to do the interview as the credible source of both the builder, but also the person that just has all the love for the spirit of the holidays and all those things. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'll give one more example. We offered the chef of the restaurant at Wellington's, which is the steakhouse in the casino, to TV news stations that offer cooking segments, especially during the holidays, like Ann was saying, we're in that time of year. So yes, they often have cooking segments, but they seem to ramp up during this time of Thanksgiving and Christmas. So offering him to do a cooking piece because he is the chef of the steakhouse. Again, all of that makes sense and works very well together. Mm-hmm. Now, if the pitch is more elaborate or visual, you may need to create a piece of content to kind of summarize and tease it. And so the reference we like to use is movies doing trailers. So if you think about what a trailer is meant to do and then what that would look like for your story, we're all very familiar with what those do, right? They want you or they entice you to want to go and see the movie and not tell the whole story, but give you enough that it incentivizes you to go. We call this a sizzle reel. And really what they're used for is to entice that media outlet to want to know more and to believe that this is going to be something that their viewers are interested in hearing, seeing, interacting with, that sort of thing. And then finally, identifying credible sources. So we talked about Lou as an example. He would be a credible source with the Christmas example. But even more so, if you're launching, for example, a new skincare product, you may want to use a dermatologist or an esthetician or someone that can endorse the science behind the product, not just that it's another skincare product out there, because as we all know, that's a hugely crowded space with lots of different people telling the same story. So who is the person that can speak to that credibly and tell the difference of yours? versus everybody else's. And this person actually might be able to be the spokesperson as well. The caveat we always offer here is to make sure they're media trained. That's another thing that I think sometimes gets missed. Uh-huh. There are <laughs> There's very specific training for this, things you can't say, should say, shouldn't say, how you show up on camera, how you what your appearance is, all of those types of things. So don't just throw anyone on the camera or on the microphone or whatever. Make sure they're actually trained to the point of all of this messaging track around what you want them to be saying. Yeah, and that's a really important point because a lot of times people will – Hire people because they like the name uh, and they can work Mm -hmm. very well in certain aspects like an endorsement or a testimonial or um, maybe they are supporting some research you're doing. However, you're using any of these folks, but then they decide that they're going to put them in front of media and they're like, hey, they're professional. They should be able to do just fine with that. (laughs) And it's a disaster. Not so much. Yeah. So um, April's exactly right. There is a specific process for how to media train Folks, if you ever need help with that, reach out to us. It was part of my my job, um, not only based on what you say, but how you look and how you show up on camera. Um, but the important part here is that these credible sources, these assets, this content can look very different mm-hmm. based on what you need to convey. How And as April said, how complicated your message is um, and where you want actually want it to show up. Some things are more visually appealing. Yep. Some things are more auditory appealing. So you need to think about that as you're developing your subpoints in order to make sure that you're the person you want to believe your overall statement is hearing it in the way that is going to make them believe it because sometimes seeing is believing, sometimes hearing is believing, mm-hmm. right? So, Yeah, no, I think that that's a, a really good point. And I would just say again that this is a good amount of investment, but when you hit all of those pieces that you just said exactly right to get them looking how you want overall and they're actually linked up, I think that's where a lot of the magic happens and it becomes a key differentiator for those outlets to want to put it out there, use it, tell your story, all of that. Right. And then you can also get more mileage out of it by using it in more places. So your sizzle reel yep. can be used in social. I mean, we do that all the time. Yep. We create sizzle reels, we use it to pitch, and we use it in social. So these things aren't just mutually exclusive for the use that you're actually creating them for. So the fourth component of a successful PR campaign is actually a PR expert who has relationships with your desired media outlets. April, I'll let you take this one too. Yeah, and this, when I was on the agency side, was one of the trickiest things to find. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are a lot of folks out there that profess to be an expert in the space and have the relationships, and I think a lot of times you see that that just is not true. Mm -hmm. So I think, like all things we talk about, don't just let someone give you lip service Make sure that you do your homework. And yes, you want to target media list. So where you want to be covered, agree on that with the person. 
and then, you know, shop that to different marketing and PR agencies and see who actually has those authentic relationships because they should be able to show you how they got those placements in those outlets. Actual case study examples is what we're talking about Mm -hmm. here. Very specifically, what did you do? How did you go about getting it? Who was your relationship with? All of those types of things. Because if you don't have the relationship, this is where all your hard work can fall apart. And it's not on you to be that expert, but you have to find someone who has that and does that day in and day out in their job effectively. And then I would say, remember too, that there's no guarantee you'll get placement. So earn media means you have to earn it. You don't just hand them a check Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then get the coverage. Having the relationships can really help with that and give you a better chance. But as we said earlier on in the episode, there's so many messages out there. There's so much news out there. There's so many different stories and people see them different ways and think about them and internalize them differently. So at some level, this isn't a guarantee that just because someone has a strong relationship, you're going to get it. So... Just remember that. And then also, we have seen people that are small try to pitch media outlets themselves. Really, we would emphasize the point that this is all about who you know. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to have to be prepared to spend a significant amount of time in not only building the relationship, initiating the relationship, but then really giving them something compelling that they want to put forth and put out there. It requires a ton of persistence. I will say this is not a job for the faint of heart. You have to be tenacious on one side and you have to be really gracious about accepting rejection on the other side. And I think this is another place where people think, well, it's easy. I'll just, I have the best story. I'll just call up the media outlet, the news outlet, the influencer, the whatever. Um, But really make sure that when you do that, you realize you're starting from nothing. And there are a lot of people out there that already have those relationships and longstanding relationships. So just make sure it's worth the time investment and know that, again, it may not work out. Right. And I think that brings back to the point that there's more stories to be told than there are slots. Yep. So yep. the people with the relationships are going to generally win over the people who don't. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It, it is a grueling job because um, – they're not very responsive media aren't, especially with as thin as the whole industry has gotten, like I had mentioned before. So you had to definitely prepare for really allocating a lot of time there. Now, a lot of people like to do that, and that's great. But just realize when you're doing a PR campaign, you're really not then doing much of anything else because yeah, of totally that. Fair. It, it takes so much time. And then you have to also be prepared for how do you take a no and then try to um, – rearrange it, I would say, (laughs) into a yes, which means like your first pitch may be a little off, but then you have to know the like the right questions to ask of like, well, you know, what would get you to tell this story? Or what would what what would I need to sweeten the pot? Or and usually can get them to say something and and they're usually very direct. It's like, well, if you don't have a person that I want to interview, then it's a no-go. And then at least you know and you can move on if you don't have that. So um it it is definitely a skill and but it's definitely people out there that do this and they do this really well that it doesn't cost like an arm and a leg you mm-hmm. know so be I, I just want to put that out there too that you don't have to hire like a new york-based pr agency necessarily for your small little business there you are may not want to in fact exactly um but that's and a lot of people feel like that's the only option but it's not yeah no i think i think that's a great point and i i think the other thing too is if you are thinking about doing it yourself Anne's point is really important, make sure that you're allocating that job to someone because otherwise, I mean, that's their full-time job because it's a time-bound situation and you have to pitch it within the amount of time to allow it to run when it needs to and not get lost with everything else or not be applicable anymore. Yep. That's totally fair. All right. So just to summarize four key components of a successful PR campaign, the first one is a developed message track. So your message track is used to inform your communication strategy, which could include your pitch, your some message tracks for your storytellers. Those are the people that we were talking about are the ones that you might choose for to do interviews, um, as well as inspiration for any content that you may create. The second is a compelling hook. You need something that is of interest to earn media. Third is mediable assets, content, and credible sources. These help you to create social proof so that people will believe your desired takeaway. And finally, a PR expert who has relationships with your desired media outlets. Like I said, and like April said, PR is based on relationships. So please, please, please don't underestimate this. 
Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. Our next segment is in the trenches. This is where we're going to give you real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but they have broad applications, so all of you out there should be able to process and then be able to adapt for your own business. All right, so our first in the trenches question, should I use a press release? Now, this is a question I've answered multiple times in different <laughs> contexts on you know, several different episodes, but I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to give a little bit of nuance Because we here. still get this question We still the get time. the question. Well, what I'm noticing, and this is why I wanted to bring um, this question back to the forefront, is that people are using the word press release in different ways. Yeah, that's fair. So a lot of people now are using press release as a like a synonym for the pitch, right? So if if that's the case, then yes, you definitely need a quote unquote press release. But I would say that's actually the pitch. But your PR person will use that as a way to engage media. So there has to be something you have to tell the story using your message track in some articulate way to hook them and be able to have that conversation about placement, right? So you definitely need that. And your PR expert should be the one drafting that or should be working with you in order to draft that. But the bigger question we get a lot, um, and this is kind of going back to to some of the others that we said before, is whether or not you should put the press release on a newswire. So there's many different newswires, both nationally and locally. And this is where you have to be very careful because many PR agencies, and I may say some, some PR agencies, especially ones who don't have the right relationships, will encourage you to do this in the hopes that it's going to get quote unquote picked up. So that's when we put something on the wire, the process of a media outlet seeing it on the wire and taking it and putting it into their publication is what we call picked up, okay? Now, when agencies share that they have secured millions and billions and whatever impressions, it's usually because they put out a press release. Now, for most people, you know, if you're not haven't listened to this podcast and, you know, you're not educated on this topic, you could feel very enticed by that. That could feel really appealing. It feels easy. It's like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Well, let me tell you why. So in 99% of all cases, an outlet's only going to cover you once. It's very, very rare that an outlet's going to cover you more than once on the same PR campaign. So if they cover your press release, you're going to miss out on any opportunity to pitch them your assets or a more comprehensive story, which could create more impact in, in a richer experience for the person that you intend this PR to, to target, all right? Now, also, you have no control over how that outlet pulls your press release, right? They could pull bits and pieces of it and put it together. They could put it in places that you didn't expect it to be. Like, for example, a lot of our PR agencies when I was at PNG we get all excited because we get hundreds of millions of impressions of our, a, our press release being pulled into Yahoo Money. <laughs> I'm like, my consumers are reading Yahoo Money, so those hundreds of millions of impressions mean actually nothing to me, right? So when you are able to actually have that conversation with an actual journalist, and that, that's a more intentional way of being able to craft a story that is going to be put where you want it to be put so the people that you want to see it are going to actually see it. So... That is what I would do first, is I would actually pitch first. I would see what you can get with regards to those conversations and trying to craft the right story, um, doing the one-on-one interviews, getting them to actually place your content, all of those things that we talked about. And then if you feel highly compelled, then I would release the press release afterwards. And that kind of fills in any maybe missing pieces or missing opportunities. But at that point, too, unless you're a really, really big brand, I mean, the the chances of your press release getting actually pulled in is actually very low. Now, what it does is it does create content that then is SEO searchable. So if you need more of that, then that could be a reason why you would do a press release. But if you are going to do that and you are going to put it in a, on the wire, make sure you put images in. People try to save like 100 bucks or 200 bucks by not putting any images. It significantly decreases the impact of the press release. 
I would just emphasize too with this one that it's a lazy approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are agencies that have gotten away with it for a long time. And the point of doing this episode, right, is to enlighten more people out there about what PR really is and how to do it appropriately. And I can't tell you how many times, again, you know, we were on the agency side. We're not PR experts by any means. And we would get pitched this option. And Mm -hmm. At the time, before I knew anything about PR, it was like, oh, okay, well, I wouldn't know how to go and place that or how to get that out there. So I guess I need this person to go and do it. And now, you know, fast forward many years, it's like, oh, well, we got took on that whole thing because Mm -hmm. one line showed up and everybody was celebrating to your point of all the impressions and it showed up here and whatever. And then nothing ever came of it. Yeah, and I think that's the important part. And we're going to get into success here in a second, but just to prelude that for a second, is you need to consider the quality of the impression, yep. not just the fact that you got the impression. Like yep. I just said about, like, it doesn't matter if my press releases showed up in Yahoo Money, my consumer is not there. So therefore, the quality of the impression is low. So yep. that is the other aspect that you have to really consider. All right, their second in the trenches question, what are the biggest mistakes you see businesses and brands make in their PR campaigns? All right, we're both going to tag team this one. I'll start. Right, so the first one, and I emphasize this point, that they are too wrapped up in the story they want to tell versus the story the media wants to tell. And we've kind of alluded to this a couple of times, but just to be extremely direct on this, if you want your story told, you need to tell the story the media wants to tell, not just the story you want to tell. It's the same thing as we talk about like when you're talking about branding and you're talking about what we call pool marketing versus mm-hmm. push marketing. You have to craft your story in order to be able to be told through that outlet. Next is they, they being businesses, don't use external assets for fear of the assets overshadowing them. <laughs> All right. So this is especially too with celebrity spokespeople. And you know what? This can happen. And mm-hmm. if you don't pick the right spokesperson, which I'll get to in a second, but if you craft your message track in order to tell an authentic story with that spokesperson, both should be able to elevate themselves. It's kind of one plus one equals five. Now, The other mistake we see people make is that they just use a celebrity spokesperson for just having a talking head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they think that that's going to get them, you know, you know, some portion of their fanship. And maybe it might for a very brief second, but it's very fleeting and it's not sustaining. And it seems it's just a false, false positive when it all comes down to it. So if you want to do that, you should actually pick an authentic spokesperson. It could be a celebrity, but somebody who can tell your story in a very um, authentic way according to their own life. They should be able to talk about how the, you know, the product, the service fits into their own life. And when you can do that, then it actually works together. Another one is they underappreciate the power of paid media placements. And so I know this is an earned media discussion, and it might sound like I'm talking about it as my mouth, but... A communication strategy in a full PR plan does include paid media, whether it's influencers or some sort of advertorial or some sort of radio or TV potentially. And that's because you can control the message there. And that is really, really important because it provides a baseline for everything else to grow. April, what are some of the mistakes you see businesses make? Yeah, so I alluded to this a few times, but I'll say it very directly. The first one for me is doing it to surface level or just for the sake of PR instead of really doing all the work that we talked about here. And I think this is always one that left me scratching my head because it really felt like a a thing that was supposed to be more of a shiny object versus actually crafting the message, putting it out there, getting it in the right places and the hands of the right people, that kind of stuff. And I think historically PR in and of itself has been a bit of a black box. I think even people that do have really strong relationships and get the placements and all of those things, they don't always do a great job of putting together the comprehensive plan. So it really needs to be something that is with the client and with the PR agency together, making sure that that's right and putting in the right investment on both sides and quite honestly having the right eyes on it to make sure that it really is everything that it could possibly be. And I will also say that, and this is one of Anne's pet peeves too, I know, is stunts for the sake of stunts or events for the sake of events. But again, I think because I know so much more about this world now, when I see those things, I'm just disgusted by them, right? And 
I can think of, you know, many, many times, and I think I've even used this reference before, for example, of running races, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have all of these different sponsors, and I know they're paying to put their name on the shirt and all of that, but then you have the associated things that go with them, like, you know, being able to have the first interview with a winning runner or whatever those things might be as more of your earned opportunity. And a lot of times the pairings just wouldn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another danger with specifically with stunts and events and that kind of stuff is it's noisy, but then also a lot of times it just doesn't make any sense. And so that's where it gets lost. And I think it's also Anne's point of using the wrong celebrity, right? If there isn't a natural connection with whatever it is and the person you're using, that's where the celebrity overshadows because people remember the celebrity and not what the Mm -hmm. tie was. If the tie is right, then they remember the whole thing. And so I think my point is overall just more that it requires the work and it doesn't always get the work and attention it needs. I think that's fair. Yeah, I used to call stunt a five-letter, four-letter word. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. That's how you say it. I couldn't remember exactly. Yeah. I was going to actually pull it out, but oh, I couldn't remember. <laughs> I hated it. Um, now, they work for some people. Richard very Branson. Small, Richard Branson. A very small yeah. percentage of people can pull off stunts and, and have them actually work. But then I also question what it do, what how it actually generated business and if it actually generated business for him yeah. or if it just gave him a big splashy kind of PR pitch yeah. and that was about it. So you want your PR to create sustaining consumers and, and customers, not flashes in the pan. Well, and I think that's the misconception, right, is that PR is supposed to be something shiny and flashy. And so then right. the measurement just becomes like – Oh, was it awesome? Did it go off without a hitch? Do we have a ton of people there? Not like did and it then go what? viral? Did it go viral? Yeah. <laughs> Lordy. Oh. Yeah, remember this stuff lives in the in, in in the Google sphere forever, which is the benefit for your SEO, but also could be your demise if you uh-huh. don't do it right. Okay. Yep. So the third in the trenches question, PR agencies have told me that there is no free lunch and it's impossible to get earned media without paid advertisement. Is this true? April. My favorite answer is it depends. <laughs> and I will say that here. Um, and Anne talked about this a little bit already where it helps sweeten the deal, right? It okay. can, it yeah, can it be can. If, it's a, if it's an actual package and you're not just defaulting to the payment – It can sometimes make sense to get more control over the message or to get your story in there or whatever the case might be. Um, This is especially true when we talk about TV and radio and some digital um, platforms. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is that a lot of times those departments don't necessarily talk to each other. And they should. This is something that I think is really broken in the system, but they don't. And so then they're not held accountable to each other or to the clients from that perspective. They're each held accountable individually in their silos. And so you might pay for something over here and expect that it's going to halo in a way to get you some earned media. And that never happens. And that's the reason why. So again, the importance of the right PR company, having the right relationships and really understanding and educating on what this means and also having those insights into the organization. So they should know whether those departments typically do work together or they don't. And you should be told that from the beginning. But many times I think this is a cop out for the agencies that don't have the relationships. And so they're trying to make it easier on their themselves to do their job better and look better as a result. If you're putting money out there, right, money talks, we all know that, but then you really do have to think about whether that led to anything earned or you just spent money from a paid perspective with someone who was supposed to provide you the earned instead. So, Yeah, and I and I think people are getting – well, yes, the people are getting savvier, but also the publications are getting savvier with regards to putting these things together into mediable packages – so, for example, we just did one for a client, and it was a nice little package that included a story on a publication and included um, Facebook boosting um, as they placed it on social. It included ads on a, a, a local TV station. It had a nice package mm-hmm. to it. Now, you could say, well, that's not really earned. That's more paid. And yes, like in that context, it is paid, but it has earned elements. Now, within that, you do have to declare that it's a paid promotion. It's an FTC guideline for all you guys out there. 
it, but now, right now, because people, as you said, are, are also savvier, they don't see that as a, oh, well, if they got paid to do it, then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like, it's not a credible source anymore. They know that people are getting paid to do these sorts of things, that it is now a business, that people are earning money. And that's fine. I just feel like the the presence of it in these publications is proof enough, is social proof enough mm-hmm. that um, what you're saying is true or else the publication would have covered it to begin with because they know there's a lot of competition for these stories. So, Well, it's not a one-off in that case. I think that's the other mm-hmm. point to be made about when you're paying for something and it doesn't link up to anything else. It's like if you're just buying a TV spot, you're buying a TV spot. Correct. Right? But what the example you just gave – Number one, it was a better price to do the package than if you had purchased those things, you know, or better value, yeah. I guess, yeah, overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, then you got to tell the more comprehensive story, which to me is the earned piece of it. Yeah, and and, and all hung together into yes. a yeah. really nice um, outreach yes. plan, which helped with the communication amplification, frankly. So, yeah, so that all works. Now, if you are going into a paid property – and you are participating in something that is going to cost you money, always ask what kind of earned media value that mm-hmm. they have. Yep. Do they? A lot of them have their own um, email lists. They have their uh, own influencers, like their own group of influencers. They have publications that they send out. See what they have and see if they will include those things mm-hmm. as part of your paid promotion. A lot of times they will if you ask. A lot of times they won't. If you don't. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to offer it up for free. No. All right. Our fourth in the trenches question. How do you measure the success of a PR campaign? And we're, we're going to be very, very transparent with you guys. That it's very hard to measure directly, which is why sometimes PR gets a bad rap, because you can't necessarily say, oh, I did this you know, placement, got this placement in this article, and it resulted in this much revenue. The belief here is that creating story in about your brand and putting it out there in these spaces creates that social proof that you need in order to win people for your business. That is the belief. Maybe I should do a message track on that. But that <laughs> is a belief that you need to embrace for this all to work. And the reason why we know it works is because it's still around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it didn't work, it would have been gone with like a lot of the other things you know that are gone now. You know, so. Um, Definitely, you have to embrace it. This is a way that people are getting their social proof in order to believe these these statements that brands and businesses want them to believe. Now, the industry method for actually measuring PR is called impressions, and you heard this uh, heard us allude to this. Impressions is a compiled list of how many people could have seen the coverage, not necessarily who did see the coverage. So this number is compiled based on circulation numbers, UVPM, which is unique views per month, subscriptions, network viewership. They put together a number and they say, if you got a placement in this publication, you're gonna you have 50 million impressions, right? In reality, that is it's a very small fraction of the people who actually saw that. Okay. So how do you then determine whether or not your PR campaign is successful? So the best way to do this is to set up KPIs that measure your desired impact or the reason why you're doing the PR campaign. Remember I said that there was three reasons for that very early on. So maybe one of the reasons why you wanted to do a PR campaign is because you want to become more findable. The SEO is very important for you. You wanted to put that content out into the, uh, the, the Google sphere, if you will. So you can measure, did the placements improve your SEO? Are you now easier to find? Those are things that you can measure. Or you could say, did the coverage increase the number of actions taken based on your call to action? If your message track had a call to action, and we say 90% of message tracks should, then you can measure how many actions were taken as a result of these communications. And you can compare it, and not necessarily apples to apples across the board, but you can get a sense for whether or not the ROI was worth it. And the ROI not being the paid piece in this case, but the ROI being your time and effort put into it. A third one is, is the coverage serving as a credible source now to close business transactions? And this is a big one and a very underestimated one that when you start creating news about your business, about your brands, about your services, whatever that happens to be, and people see that, they see it as a credible source of like, oh, these people are legit. And it helps them get over the hump of whether or not they should choose you or not. 
But the point here is that you need to work to determine what success looks like for you. You cannot count on your PR experts to define this for you because they are not in your business. They're going to give you the impressions. They're going to give you the placements, but they can't tell you what that means for your business. And like we said before, make sure that you're utilizing this across the board. Use your PR coverage in your social 100%. Show people through that mechanism that you're getting seen and viewed and you're getting engagement in other places besides the one that they're looking at. It helps to increase the social proof. Yeah, and I think this one places a really nice point on why you as the client have to take some level of investment or put forth that effort in order to assess the PR component because there is kind of a breakage point of where you could just get like the shiny coverage, for example, but then nothing Mm -hmm. happens as a result. And I think being clear on what your KPIs are and knowing that before you go into the PR, but also letting them know that that's what your expectation is, I think can keep them on their toes a bit more as well Mm -hmm. to say, oh, okay, so the gig's up basically (laughs) with these guys. I can't phone it in. I have to really have the relationships. I have to come with those case studies. I have to be ready to talk through them. And so I think it can be a vetting tool as well when you're thinking through the partnerships so that they understand that while their feet aren't held to the fire necessarily of delivering so many business transactions, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't see those things happen, then there's going to no longer be a role for them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Our third and final segment is usually an example of a brand who's doing this well or not well. But we're sometimes funny that this isn't working as, as it should because mm-hmm. we've extended our topic base, which is fantastic. So we want to continue to bring you guys topics that uh, you appreciate and you enjoy. So we're going to change this section up a little bit for, for certain episodes. And we're going to include what we're called marketing smarts moments. Now, these might have nothing to do with the topic of today, but it is something that we've seen very, very recently that we want to pass along to you as something that you can leverage in your business or avoid in your business Mm -hmm. because it could be going either way um, based on what people are responding to now. Okay. So give us a little bit of patience. We're going to try this out. If you guys hate it, just tell us. All right. So um, the one that I want to talk about today is what I call micro-targeting, all right? So micro-targeting really works very well locally. It can work both nationally as well, but very, very well locally. And this is when you actually go after specialized groups of people in order to build some ancillary relationships, kind of like when we are talking about the networking before, but in order to drive leads for your business, Okay. So, for example, you know, a lot of you guys are probably like, yeah, I do that. Like, I go to um, these meetings um, with with certain groups of people, or I sponsor this and that and the other in these shows or these gatherings, or I tap into these networks, or I, you know, whatever. Like, so a lot of you guys are probably doing things outside your business in order to drive credibility for your business. But what I'm seeing that's that's happening that's very interesting right now, and again, not a new thing, but something that's actually working really, really well, is the value of not just going to those things with the purpose of selling your business, mm-hmm. but going with the purpose of selling your expertise. Yep. All right. So the difference here is, um, so for example, I'll, I'll use an example because I'm part of RIA, which is a real estate organization. They have them all throughout the country. But every month they have a meeting and they invite all these vendors to come and to put up a little booth and you can go talk to these vendors, right? So one would be is a always there is a uh, construction agency. So if I were to approach their booth and they were to selling me their business, be like, we would like to to be your construction agency, right? Like, okay, fine. Like, so does him and her and all these other people want to be my construction agency, right? What I'm seeing work better is when they come and they say. We want to teach you how to do construction, all right? So that is a totally different angle, and it has so much more power and value behind it because what they're going to do is they're going to teach me how to do something that I might not know very well. Maybe I'm a new real estate investor. I've never done a flip before, or, you know, and so I'm, like, very fearful of doing these things. Like, we're going to teach you how to do the construction. We're going to teach you how to bid it out. We're going to teach you how, you know, we're going to show you very transparently how we put together a bill of materials and how much the labor costs, and we're going to put that all together, 
and we're going to do quality work. And if you don't like it, you know, we have a guarantee. So that's the, the selling part. But the very first thing that they're selling is their expertise. And that creates a tremendous amount of value in order to build these relationships through these, these micro targets and helps get your foot in the door in a way that nobody else is doing. So my challenge to you is think about where you're showing up in these and think about how am I showing up? Am I showing up to sell my business, to push my business? Or am I showing up as an expert so that I can sell my expertise, which then is going to lead to business? Yeah. And the thing I will add here is because you're not pushing yourself on whoever this audience is, if you let them talk first, Mm -hmm. you can also hear whatever their problem, frustration, where they are in the journey, if they're new or they're not new or whatever those cases are. And then you can respond right? versus just coming in strong with that pitch when it might come across totally tone deaf if they're like, yeah, and we're one of the realtors or one of the homeowners or the whatever that actually has the strongest construction crew. Why would you pitch that to me? And so I think that people are used to being sold too, and I frankly hate that approach. We don't take that approach with our business either for that very reason. Neither one of us loves that. But I do agree with you. I think it is really effective, and I think that the people that are authentic in it and really have that desire to do the right thing for the customers wherever they are are the ones that are winning business. Yeah, I think that's right on. And I think... A lot of people try to do this by leading with the question, so what's not working for you right now? What are your biggest <laughs> yeah. challenges? So then the person feels like on the spot. It's like, well, I don't know how much I want to share. Exactly. I don't know you. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, don't do not do it the other way. You have to have some finesse and some, you know, and some style to having these conversations. But if you can lead with how you can help people mm-hmm. um, in, in, in how you're going to share your expertise and how that's part of the value proposition – it, it's going to differentiate for you from everybody in your market, in your industry. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. So let's summarize the four key components of a successful PR campaign. A developed message track. A message track is used to inform your communication strategy, which we talked about could be your pitch, your sub-message tracks for your storytellers, and inspiration for any content you create. A second is a compelling hook. You need something that's of interest to earn media, because remember, you're not paying them. Third is mediable assets, content, and credible sources. These help you to create social proofs that people will believe your desired takeaway. And finally, a PR expert has relationships with your desired media outlets because PR is based on relationships and don't underestimate this. And with that, we'll say go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.